Lauren McLean, and welcome to Mentoring Nature Connections. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional territories we each find ourselves on today. For me, I'm currently living, learning, and playing on the land of the Kwikwetlem First Nations, which lies within the shared territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Musqueam, Kikite, Squamish, and Stolo Nations. Land acknowledgement is an act of truth and reconciliation. This is a journey that I'm committed to learning more about, and I hope to deepen my understanding of land acknowledgement as my learning journey progresses. I'd like to thank the listeners for joining us today. It's so exciting to see how many new followers and subscribers we get each week. I'd also like to ask you to please take a moment to review us on Apple Review. With your feedback, I will be able to better align the topics to your questions and passions. Have you ever wondered how to infuse literacy with your outdoor adventures? Nature is a literacy-rich environment, a place where we can experiment with language in so many ways. Our land provides us with an inherently play-based environment where we can explore literacy in an informal way. We can expand our vocabulary, develop conversational skills, recount stories and events, and the list goes on and on. And this isn't just for our youngest learners. We can all develop our language through play and our outdoor environment is a very powerful tool that we can use to help us on that learning journey. A common challenge or roadblock that colleagues have often asked me about is the lack of resources or how inconvenient it is to bring out a blackboard or other learning tools such as books and pencils. Our guest tonight, Faye Brownlee, will help spark some ideas that are both easy and prep and will have a significant and positive influence on your literacy program. Before we get to that, my own personal story around the connection between literacy and the outdoors was introducing story walks as one of our nature routines. As an extension of reading a picture book inside the classroom, I would photocopy a few images and put the pictures into one of those sleeve protectors and then disperse them at various points outdoors where I knew we would be walking to that morning. Maybe I'd hang them on the wire fence or on the field and use a rock to hold it down or hang one from a post or tree branch with some twine. And then on our morning walk, we would visit these images and practice our skill of retelling a familiar story. April, my teaching partner at the time, and I would often select books that had an element of adventure or had a nature or SEL connection so that there was this added layer of making a book to world connection for our learners. Well, that's enough for me. As I said, our guest tonight is Faye Brownlee, a literacy superstar. She has worked all over Canada as well as internationally to support and coach K-12 teachers in their journey towards creating an inclusive literacy framework for their classrooms. Faye has several publications, including It's All About Thinking, Grand Conversations, Learning in Safe Schools, and Student Diversity. She flawlessly models open-ended teaching strategies and believes in the power of collaboration. Thanks so much for being here today, Faye. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. It's great to be here. Can I start by asking what your favorite memory is of being out in nature? So I think one of my favorite memories of connecting, teaching, thinking, learning, literacy, its my thing, uh, with the outdoors is being a student at the University of Winnipeg many, many, many moons ago. And I can even remember my brown and gold sweater. That was my favorite sweater. And I would, I had a tree that was not far from my little apartment block. And I would go out at the end of the day or whenever I was back from classes and I would sit under that tree 
and I'd read. Um, and so when I was thinking about this question, because I knew you were going to ask me, <clears throat> I thought, you know, that's just one that I just instantly, fall comes and fall's not the same here as it is um, in Manitoba, but I just treasured that particular tree and I treasured that particular sweater and I grabbed my books and that's where I was until it was too cold to stay there. It just, it was so much better to read whatever I was reading um, outside under that tree, whether there was traffic, whether there wasn't, it just didn't matter. It was just being outside. Now, you mentioned the weather in Manitoba, and I can only imagine how cold it gets there in the wintertime. What are some of the other challenges when teaching literacy in nature? Well, I think one of the things that people worry about is management. Um, it's that idea of if I take my class, doesn't matter whether they're primary or intermediate or secondary, if I take them outside, they'll just, it'll be helter-skelter, they'll be gone, I won't be able to have any kind of control, they won't be listening to me, um, I'll lose some kids, I can't do it by myself, it's too unstructured. Um, so I do think that that's one of the big pieces, but you know, I think it's like anything we do with kids, we just have to set them up for success we talk about what is this going to look like when we go outside what are our voices going to be like you know where are our hands going to be no we're not punching and, and kicking and running around um but here are our parameters and let's think about that and let's think about why we're going to do this and help them build with us the expectations of what it's going to look like when we're outside and once we do that they're fine and then you always have to sort of get our toe out there to try it out right and not saying that we're necessarily going for two hours but let's go Let's go for 20 minutes. Let's go for half an hour. Let's go with somebody else so that there's two of us there until we notice that actually, gosh, we can help those kids be fine. Classroom management is definitely a concern for most of us. But as you said, if we can front load the expectations for our learners, then we will find more success. You mentioned student agency and how we can facilitate activities that are relevant for our learners. So could you speak a little more to that in relation to outdoor learning? Yeah. You know, I think the other difference is that when we take them outside, and, and I don't mean that we have to be outside all the time, but I think we have to see it as a reasonable extension of where we are in the classroom. Um, and if we're not, if we're nervous, the kids are going to be nervous. Um, if we're calm, the kids are going to calm. We all know that. They reflect how it is that we're feeling. But um, I think we have to trust our kids. We have to help our kids see what this can look like, sound like, feel like and then trust them that they're gonna be able to do that. Um, kids exceed our expectations all the time. If we help them co-plan with us, if we make really clear the expectations, not just for the academic piece, but for the social emotional piece, the behavioral piece, um, when they're involved in the co-planning, um, we're shifting that responsibility and that agency to shared, instead of me being boss, trying to make you behave. Um, but that shared piece, that shifting the agency, helping them build that with us, um, just changes the possibility of what it is we're able to do. Yeah, I agree that the shift in responsibility is so important when we're creating an environment of trust and helping students develop an ownership of learning. Do you think you could provide some examples of what that looks like for us? Well, I just, you know, when you think about outdoor ed, I think about one of my experiences, I think this is probably about three years ago. And, um, you know, I haven't had my own class for a while now. So, and the big push toward outdoor education has really come since I've had my own class. But I spend a lot of time, as you know, in classes, um, co-planning and co-teaching with teachers. And so 
this particular day, I was going to be at Wanick Elementary in Maple Ridge, and I was going to be working with teachers Heather Chapman and Renee Pennell. And uh, they run a program, they had just started it, I think about a year before then, called Cedar Stream. And they'd put together um, their two classes, they'd combined their classes and they worked with them together. And I think their classes were either students in grades four, five, six, or five, six, seven. It was a three year span. And if my memory serves me correctly, they spent half a day outside every day, no matter the weather. And one day a week, I think on Wednesdays, they spent the whole day outside. So I was going to be doing this writing lesson with them. Um, yeah, maybe even grade three to six. And we were going to be writing um, inside the fence. So Wanik had this large um, playground area and really beautiful large playground area. And then there was a fence that went into the sort of the the larger area of the forest behind them. So I spent most of the weekend praying to all the rain gods to stay away um, because though I was quite prepared to do this, I was not happily thinking about working on an hour and a half writing lesson in the forest or inside the fence in the pouring rain. And the heavens cleared, um, the day was fine. <clears throat> we headed out um, and that was such a good learning experience for me. So these kids went out and they just scattered over the fallen logs in and out of some of the puddles that were remaining there as close to the getting to the other side of the fence as they possibly could. And I was thinking, okay, so, you know, one of the things I'm always thinking about is management. You know, we have a little team of teachers there observing. But after a few minutes of kind of running around and getting rid of some of that excess energy, and then the whistle blew and everybody came and they found a spot to sit just so and the only regulation was you have to find a place to sit where you'll be able to hear the instructions and then we did decided that we would do a guided imagery of life of the fallen hemlock tree so we taught we walked the kids through this guided imagery they'd found a spot to sit they were sketching or collecting words as we conducted the imagery and then we talked about that a little bit and you could just silence just fell on this group that had been so rambunctious <clears throat> a few minutes before that. Um, and you could just hear the, the sounds of the imagery coming through and, and the peaceful voice. Then the kids were invited to find a different place to write. And then they sat um, in whatever place they were writing for 20 minutes. And they wrote in role of uh, being a seed and growing into being that fallen tree. What was the life story that went on? And then we met in a sharing circle. Everybody found a gem to share. We shared, we recorded something that has sparked your thinking our hour and a half was up and it was time for recess. It was magic. I was so excited because it's what we would have done in the classroom. It was this, you know, exactly the same kind of sequence, except there we were sitting outside actually sitting on logs, sitting in, you know, close to the forest and a little bit in the forest. Um, it was so much easier for the kids to write and roll. It was so much easier for them to collect language and image and impression because they were right there. And it allowed us, um, because there were the three of us co-teaching this lesson, it allowed the three of us to move among the kids as they were writing um, and give them feedback. You know, what am I noticing about what you're doing and what's working? What are you proud of? What are you working on? What can I help you with? Um, so again, back to the agency piece, right? But our voices weren't carrying everywhere as they would in the classroom because there was all that space around it. Um, 
it was just a, a beautiful little evolution. I loved it. It definitely does seem easier to engage in a guided imagery lesson outdoors because you're surrounded by so much beauty and inspiration. And it sounds like those teachers are in a pretty amazing environment. I wonder if this was particularly so successful because it was a routine that they had previously done in their classroom, so this was an extension, or was this a new routine for the students? Well, I think that was kind of a a big jump. I mean, for for some of us to go out and think, hey, they'd never done a guided imagery before, so that was an extension for them. They had certainly written outside before, so that was a a, a known routine. They understood how to find their spot and, and how to listen to instructions and to um, be in a place that was going to give you enough room for your own movement without interrupting others. So so they had some of those pieces, but the actual practice of what we were doing with the leading into writing was new to them. Um, so if guided writing, guided imagery was new, being outside was new, taking an hour and a half around a writing lesson was new. That might be too many new things to put in together um, to take outside, but you you know, we make those decisions as teachers all the time. Could you also share a primary example of an outdoor literacy lesson with us? So um, my daughter is an early career teacher. She's in her second year of teaching. I just look at she and her, her friends who all graduated two years ago and think, oh my gosh, what a way to begin. Um, I am loving it because I'm getting to experience all those new things through the eyes of, of somebody um, who's new to in, a new career teacher. So, so going outside with the kids was a new and a big thing. And so the ideas around management, you know, that part, um, I got to hear the stories around that and the worry. And she and her more experienced um, other grade one, two teacher took their kids out two weeks ago, I guess, for a walk. And so um, they'd been out a few times, not together, but, but Gabby's had her class out a few times. And they've gone on nature walks and they've taken out sketchbooks and they've found places, things that they wanted to remember and they've sketched and brought them back in. And they've also done pieces where they've just gone out and found a sit spot and either just quietly read or drawn what they'd seen around them. But this time they went on a nature walk um, and they went down to the river. You'll remember the river, Lauren, because we used to be in that same school together. Um, And so they went down to the river and they found a sit spot and they drew something that was going to be important that they wanted to take back. Um, And they brought it back and I thought they were going to take it into writing and they did several days later. But the first thing they did when they came back is that they spent some more time um, building their sketch and then they took their sketch and um, they went and they moved their sketch into pointillism art. And so um, you know, that again was new. And I think that was a bit, um, we said, that was really tough for them. I thought, yeah, I can imagine that'd be really tough for me. Um, but all that time around what they had drawn and what they had seen and all the vocabulary that they had built. And of course they, when they came back, they, you know, did one of, um, in a categorized web about the kinds of things that the kids had noticed so that it could really grow the language because, you know, there's a lot of English language learners um, in our schools. And so we really have to be thinking about that language development and building our word bank and our world bank of experiences. Um, And then a couple of days later, after all that talk time around the work that they've been doing, then they wrote. 
And she said, they're, you know, they're, they just, they wrote, she said, so what's your story? And now these kids are, are used, they do a lot of writing in the classroom. So they're, it's part of that routine, right? They see themselves as writers. And just now they've been working on imagination writing. And so they thought this was just great because now they could take what they had seen and done in nature and turn it into an imagination writing. Everybody wrote, no problem. I love how Gabby's going outside and helping her students find and develop these special connections with nature and then bringing that connection back into the classroom. She's helping them see that nature isn't separate, that we don't have to keep it in a box and it's not a separate curricular area. Yeah, and there's so many of our kids who are living in apartments, right? And especially in COVID just now, we have so many families who are nervous about the virus. <clears throat> and so kids' experiences are, are more closed rather than open. And so it's a way of helping them see how we can get out there. Well, Faye, could I switch gears ever so slightly and ask you about how you see the role of questioning and inquiry when we're outdoors with our learners? Let me give you a writing example of what I think can look like in, in inquiry and, and questioning taking outside. Um, so I was thinking about this the other day and thinking, so, so what's something else that we could all do that would be primary or intermediate or secondary that would keep curiosity and imagination and questioning going and kind of push our thinking outside it's it's sometimes more tightly tight boundaries so i think it's why could not we do a setting collection right we're all talking about setting all the time but why can't we bounce that up and so instead of just we've got the sit spot and look around and do our drawing and, and use this as our setting and come back but what would happen if we all went out and we gathered two or three artifacts that we could put in a little bag and they could be our setting Okay. So, and we didn't tell anybody else what we were gathering. We just gathered them, right? Six-year-olds could do this. 16-year-olds can do this. And so we come back and we could put them in our little bags and we could, you know, if we wanted to be safest, we could use them to create a setting that we're going to use in our writing for writing a narrative or a poem or, I mean, we all kinds of different kinds of writing. Or if we wanted to bump it a little bit, we could put our little bags with our three artifacts in them into a pool in the center and everybody could choose one. And then you could take it, open it up and see, oh, what kind of artifacts did I get? And how could I use them in a story? And we could do that alone. We could do that in partners because that, again, that oral language practice and we thought about the different options of putting them together would change our stories. And we could do that in all kinds of different ways, right? So we could take three things from the natural world and we could toss in something from our room, okay? And say, so now what's gonna happen, okay? We could create some characters and move them around to some of our different settings and see how that story would change. I mean, it's just, it's endless possibilities without a lot of prep in order to do this, but engaging the kids. I mean, to me, this is just a really easy entry. And this is an inquiry. Right? It doesn't have to be a great big project. This is an inquiry. This is saying, so let's take a few things and see how it sparks your thinking and see where it goes. And how could you play with that? Um, and, you know, there's just so many different ways to, to play around those pieces. And you've got the kids moving. Right? Like that's, you know, we would do this to, to sketch a beginning and then start to write. And that's a great way to begin. But we could also go out. What I like about that example is that it's centered around this idea of what gifts does nature bring and exploring that question with our students through a literacy lens. Yeah. 
you see and then i i think about those um i follow you on twitter so i, I my knowledge of the outdoors is growing monumentally thanks to you um but i think about how you'll post a a picture and you'll say oh and on my walk today i was noticing the way these leaves were organized and and i'm thinking whoa who knew so now on my walk i'm looking and i think oh look at those they're in twos they're in threes now those little sprinklings you know as you toss those out to kids what did we observe how did we notice would that make a difference if your leaves came out in threes would that be something that you would turn into a fairy tale because three is kind of a magic number in fairy tales like all those different connections that just you know when you're talking with kids and you toss out little seeds and some land and some don't well i like this idea of tossing out a little nugget and seeing what takes and what falls to the wayside I will actually often repeat our nature walk focus maybe a few weeks later or a few months later so that students can benefit from that repetition. Maybe they didn't hear it or absorb it the first time and now they get another opportunity. Or if they did take it in the first time, then this is a chance for them to further expand their thinking and wonderings. Now, Faye, I know our time is coming to an end here, so I'd like to ask you, what resources would you recommend for educators looking to infuse a little more literacy into their outdoor learning adventures? Well, this one isn't going to strike you as sort of major outdoor ed because it's coming in from a, another angle, but I really like Georgia Hurd's Awakening the Heart. It's about poetry, and to me, it just, it, it's, it's ready to be out. It's, it's ready to be out, and again, it just, it, it brings you into playing with language, playing with syntax and structure and imagery um, and beauty. So it's, it to me is a lovely link. Thank you. And lastly, I'd like to ask every guest about a novelty nature note, basically a fun way of asking what your favorite nature fact is. Okay, so mine is not going to be a fact. Mine's going to be a curiosity. So I have on my back deck five big pots that have had um, bulbs in them for years and years and years. And there's been a time when the squirrels have thought that they were out there for their picnic pleasure. And, and the squirrels seem to have moved on to a new feeding ground. And, you know, we went through the chicken wire and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of our neighbors seems to be hatching raccoons and has had several generations of raccoons um, for quite a while over there. And so, you know, we've been fairly lucky and that the raccoons have stayed there. They pass through our yard, but they stay over by his place because he's got a hot tub out there. So that's more appealing. But in the past two, two and a half months, the raccoons have decided that our back deck with these planters are their nighttime playground. And so they have dug up the soil. They don't eat the bulbs. There's nothing in there. There's no, it's, this is not a, bug infested territory. This is my this is my new scientific inquiry that I ask everybody, so feel free to give me advice. I cannot for the life of me figure out why they're there, aside from digging, right? So sometimes it's two of the pots, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's five. Um, my latest, I, I've tried the, um, you know, various things from Canadian Tire to spray on to make them go away, because they said it can't be raccoons. I said, it's raccoons. I know it's raccoons because we can hear them playing. Now, if we leave the light on, um, not environmentally friendly, but they tend to stay away if the light is on because, of course, they're nocturnal. Um, 
but they are now on their third batch of going through the soil. <clears throat> I am the only person in the world who has not planted bulbs, <clears throat> despite the fact in the front I have daffodil, my one lone row daffodil has grown and been blooming for two weeks. Um, and they were just back two nights ago. Hmm, I wonder if there's some yummy grubs that they're searching for. I'll, I'll look into it, Faye, because now I'm fascinated. And actually, if anyone listening has a guess, could you please write in and let us know, maybe by posting something on social media and using the hashtag Mentoring Nature Connections? My novelty nature note that I wanted to share today was something about moss. There's a specific type called reindeer moss, which is not actually a type of moss, it's a type of lichen but it gets its name because reindeer are one of the only animals that eat it. It has some chemical that helps keep its blood warm during the colder months that it's traveling through the Arctic. I've been reading the book Gathering Moss by Robin Wall Kimmerer, so moss has been on my mind a lot these days. She's an extremely poetic writer, similar to Faye, so I wanted to end with a quote from her book. With words at your disposal, you can see more clearly. Finding the words is another step in learning to see. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Faye. Zoom is always an adventure, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. If you'd like to find out more about Faye, you can visit her website at faybrownlee.ca or follow her on Twitter at faybrownlee. I will also post all of Faye's information under the podcast notes. As always, if you have any questions or comments for myself, please visit mentoringnatureconnections.wordpress.com and don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Review. Until next time, go get your hands dirty and have fun with Mentoring Nature Connections.